How are you tonight? Ooh, you look out of breath there. You're really worshiping, amen? Amen. All right, better late than never. It's all good. Uh, we are in 2 Corinthians tonight. You know, the one-two punch of the worship and the word works so beautifully together. God prepares our hearts in worship, plows up that fallow ground, gets us ready to receive the word, and the Holy Spirit continues to move and then pours the principles of God's truth into us, amen. So always remember, God precedes most everything with worship. It's where he does his best work. So as you enter into his presence and lose yourself in his presence, you're preparing your heart to receive the word. So 2 Corinthians, uh, we are in chapter 10, working our way through the book. Uh, by God's grace, we're going to cover verses 7 through 11 tonight. And I'm going to I'm going to read those to you in just a second. Father, we thank you for this place where we can worship, Lord. I know that they call many religious buildings houses of worship, but Father, I thank you that we have worshipers here, and we worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and that's not to our glory, but it's to your glory, Lord. So teach us to be worshipers. Teach us to enter into your presence. Teach us not to just make your presence a visitation, but a habitation. Let us learn to dwell in your presence. And now, as we've worshiped you, Lord, I pray that you've prepared our hearts to receive the engrafted word, Lord, tonight, and that each of us would leave with something from you tonight, that none of us would leave the way we came, but you'd change us by the power of your word, and I thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ's, have him consider that again within himself that just as he is Christ's, so are we. For if I boast somewhat more than about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not want to seem as if I would terrify you with my letters. The Apostle Paul speaking here to the Corinthians I don't want to terrify you with my letters. Verse 10, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal or his bodily presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Have such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we do not presume to rank or to compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they have no understanding. Now, let's just stop right there because that's one more verse than we're going to cover tonight. And that's a loaded one, verse 12. But there again, he starts off here. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. He's, this is a wild church. It's a carnal church. Corinth was a place of mass idolatry, mass immorality. Yet God reached down into that mess of sin and plucked out some people and saved them by the blood of Jesus and planted a church right in the middle of the mess. I want to tell you something. You might look at the world and go, man, it's a mess and it's getting messier. Well, God's able to deal with the mess. Amen. If he can do what he did in Corinth and plant church right in the middle of that place, you know, I'm telling you, look what he's done in just our own lives. So don't be afraid of the encroaching darkness. God's got it all under control. 
And here's Paul. He's speaking to them. They're a little crazy, but they love the Lord, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're growing. They just gave an incredible offering to the Jerusalem church. He's encouraged them about that. He's also taken the time to stop and correct some of the uh, anomalies in their theology. He's also taken the time to correct some of their attitudes. Say attitude. attitude. Say it with an attitude. attitude. Yeah, that's it. They had an attitude, and here's what their attitude was about. They thought, some of them there thought they could do a better job at being Paul than Paul. And they wanted his spot, they wanted his office, they wanted his apostleship, and they were mixed in the church, and here he's really speaking to them. Tonight, he gets right down to it again, because he's correcting their, their corrupt way of thinking. The, remember, it's just a few bad apples spread throughout the barrel. And, but if you don't deal with those attitudes, if you don't deal with those people who are speaking, they can corrupt the whole body. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, lump. Yeah, we're part of the lump. We don't need leaven in our lump. Okay, so he's correcting the few that have an attitude here. Now, Paul appeals to those in Corinth who have challenged his apostolic authority, and he tries to get them to see the foolishness and the unproductivity of their ways. Now, believers categorically should not be those who split hairs all the time. Ever meet a legalistic person? Always got something to say about everything. Always got a problem. You know, even if something's good, they'll, they'll say, well, that was great, but... Come on, you know people like that? Yeah, well, they're, they're in the church, they're in our family, they're in our workplace, but specifically when they're in the body of Christ, they can cause a lot of damage and disunity in the body. So they're testing his apostolic authority, they're splitting hairs, they're bickering, some of them are jockeying for position, they want to take his office, they would like nothing more than to see Paul go away, they're kind of happy that the Romans, when they arrest him, they take him out of the picture, because they figure, well, now's our chance. So they're jockeying for position, and you know they're, they're trying to kind of weasel their way into leadership. Now, I want to say something. Those of us, you know, in the body of Christ, what we should do is just allow God's assignment for our life to be the thing that satisfies us. Wherever he's placed you, however he's gifted you, whatever he's put in your hands to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord, amen, and be content with that. There should be none of this striving for this and striving for that to outdo each other. And, and, you know, listen, we should desire the greater gifts, but we should not covet other people's gifts or stations or calling. Paul begins his appeal to those who are causing the strife in verse 7 by challenging them to do two things. First, he wants them to consider their own uh, perspective. He says, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. So he's saying, guys, look at the perspective that you have. You're looking at things on the outward, the exterior. You're looking at the superficial and you're drawing spiritual conclusions. That's a recipe for disaster. You and I with the carnal mind, with, the, with, the, with our own sight, with our own senses, our own feeling and seeing and emotions, if we're trying to draw spiritual conclusions like that, we're gonna be wrong most every time. We need spiritual discernment, spiritual insight, being led by the Holy Spirit, amen? He's saying, consider your perspective. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. Perspective is important. 
if we have a carnal, secular, fleshly worldview and we bring that into the church, we are going to miss the will of God every time. It's quiet tonight. And that's good because we need to think about this. There are churches that are much more carnal than they are spiritual. And the way they preach the word is, you know, as if it's not the inspired word of God and the people hear it and, and, and there's no move of the Holy Spirit and those churches seem to all the time come to wrong conclusions about spiritual things. Why? You know, when people say, well, you know, we're a charismatic church or, or we're an evangelical church or we're a spirit-filled church. Listen, there's only one church and it's the spirit-filled church. If you're not filled with the spirit, what are you doing? Who are you following? Where are you going? Is it a God bless me club? Is it a social group? Come on, some of you have sat in places like that. There's no conviction. Nobody gets saved. There's no, you know, nobody's life is challenged. There, there's no move of God. There, there's no outreach. There's no inreach. There's no youth. So Paul says, consider your own perspective. You're carnal, you're fleshly, your worldview is wrong. You're coming to wrong conclusions. You are looking at things as though they were outwardly. Those who thought they could do a better job of being the Apostle Paul than the Apostle Paul are the same kind of people who chose Saul to be king in Israel. You guys are too quiet tonight. Let's see, I got full glasses of water. They looked at Saul in Israel and they were like, oh, look at Saul. Good looking, handsome, muscular. The Bible says he was head and shoulders, not the shampoo. He was head and shoulders above everyone. He's a tall, muscular, good looking guy. And they said, ooh, we want him to be king. Look good outwardly. What is Paul saying? You're looking at things outwardly. The Israelites looked at things outwardly and they picked Saul and Saul was a train wreck. He was a hot mess. At the end of his reign, he, he, he was so disobedient to God. God cut him off and refused to speak to him. At the end of his life, he fell on his own sword because the enemies that God wanted him to conquer had just overcome him and he actually takes his own life. But he looked good, and he was, he was the people's choice. We need to be led by the Spirit. We can't look at the outward things. Looking at the outward things will lead us astray every single time. We need to pray for spiritual insight and discernment. Jesus put it this way when he spoke to Peter in Mark 8, 33. It says this, he rebuked, who's he? Jesus. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. Did you hear what Jesus said? He's saying the same thing that Paul said. He said, you're looking at things outwardly. Peter, you don't have God's purposes on your mind. You have man's purposes. You don't want me to leave you because you're scared and, and you've invested yourself in me and you've left everything to follow me. So you don't want me to go, but you don't know, Peter, that it's better for me to go because then the comforter will come. It won't be just Jesus with you. It'll be the Holy Spirit in you. Come on. You're setting your mind on, God, on man's purposes, not God's. You, you don't have the things of God in mind. And that's basically, in a way, what Paul is saying to these people. You got a wrong perspective, and you need to deal with it. The second thing that Paul hits them with in verse 7 is this. Not only does he want them to have the right perspective, but he asks them to get introspective. And that means to look inside yourself. You know, every once in a while, we've got to stop everything, get alone, and take a look inside. 
David said, search me, try me, see me, test me. See if there's any wicked way in me, David said before the Lord. That's a good thing for us to do. Not, it's always, it can't always be, you know, looking on the outside and looking at the exterior and watching what's going on around us. What's going on in us? Paul challenges them to be introspective. Look what he says here. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ's, have him consider this. That statement right there is a call for introspection. Have him consider this within himself. You see, he wants them to take a look. He's appealed to them. He's gave them sound theology. He's given them his credentials, his fruit, uh, all the affirmations of God. It still hasn't been enough for them. So he says, take a look inside yourself now. It's interesting that just as he is Christ's, so are we. So he kind of throws this on them. He goes, you, you know, you're, you're Christ and you're filled with the spirit and you're a child of God, but so am I. And so are, you know, my entourage here of apostles and the early, we've been selected by God to do a specific work just as you have. See what he's trying to get across to them? It, it's, we're on the same team here. You guys need to take your place. I need to take my place. And we all need to do what God's called us to do. So take a look inside at yourself and search your heart and see if what I'm saying is true. Now, uh, introspection is us getting real with God. You see, when we get in his presence and we open our hearts up to him and we, we get, for lack of better words, naked before him, we can't cover anything up. You know, clothes cover up a lot of stuff, don't they? How many of you are thankful for clothes? How many people over 50? Thank you for clothes, amen? Amen, clothes are good. Man, you could hide this and tuck that and black is slimming and that's why I got that going on. <laughs> you know, but when you get before God and you really get real with God and you, and you just kind of let it all hang out there, you, you gotta be honest with yourself. These guys, man, they had to be honest. I'm not the apostle Paul. I don't have that anointing. I don't, uh, I don't have that, you know, on my life. I, the signs, wonders, and miracles this guy's done, that, that, that's not me. You know, the healings, no. You know, the, the way the word of God flows through him, even though he's a weak vessel, the, the things that he writes down and the way he understands theology, he's a genius. That's not me. Hmm. Sometimes we have to stop trying to be somebody else and just be us. Be who God made us to be with the giftings God's given us. Take our place in the body of Christ. That requires some introspection. Uh, you know, and Paul understood this. That's why he's telling them, take a look in yourself. Why? Because he's tried to appeal to them. He's tried to be nice. He's tried to be persuasive with his speech. But you know what? Sometimes the best way to let a person come to the right conclusion is to, is to tell them, get alone, get with God, and hear from God. Amen. You know, as a pastor, the last thing I want to do is have to give people who are out of order a biblical body slam. You know, it's like, I got to pull them in the office and I got to tell them you're out of line. You're out of this. You're, you're crazy. That's wrong. You know, you're, you're doing the, and, and that's the worst thing. Cause you know what? Because you, especially if they didn't ask for my input, you know, sometimes as a leader, you have to, you have to go where you haven't been invited, you know, because it's an issue. It's leaven. It's a problem in the body. But listen, I've learned this a long time ago. There's an old expression. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. That means if I got to tell somebody something that they didn't want to hear and didn't ask to hear from me, they're going to really resist it to the point where even if I get them to say uncle in my office, 
when they leave, they're going to shake it off. No, no, no. So Paul's wise enough to know that, you know what, if he lets the Holy Spirit do it, if he lets the Lord do it, if he can get them just to look inside and, and to realize that, you know what, each of us are God's sheep, he's the shepherd, he assigns the, the roles and the anointings and the jobs to each of us, and that we're all on the same team. You see, when the body of Christ gets a sense of team work and unity, that's when, the, that's when the anointing flows. That's when the power happens. So I'm not trying to be you, and you're not trying to be me, and I, we're not trying to outdo each other. Who's going to get the corner office with the window? There's no corner offices with windows or views here. But you know what I'm talking about. So verse 7 is powerful. You know, consider your perspective, then be introspective. Now, verse 8, Paul gives his perspective on his own leadership within the body of Christ. And this is, this is kind of a peek under the hood here, and it's a good thing for us to see how Paul thinks of himself. Uh, here's a guy who's, you know, was a persecutor of the church, uh, subdued by the Holy Spirit, pulled into ministry through the miraculous, and this is how he feels about himself at this point. He says this in verse 8, for, I, for if I boast somewhat more about our authority, he's talking about that apostolic authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. So that's powerful here. He says, if I can boast on something, I can boast on God who gave me a gift so I could be a gift to you, so I could build you up and not destroy you. That's, that's, that's a powerful thing there. A leader can brag on God all they want. They can work, brag on the work of the Holy Spirit. They can brag on what God's doing in the kingdom and the goodness of God and the calling of God, but they should never brag about themselves, period. If you're around someone who is a minister or a shepherd or an evangelist and all they talk about is I, 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 me, 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 look what I did. Listen, take your shoes off, shake the dust and get away. That is not, that is not the spirit of God because the spirit of God always magnifies Jesus and always lifts up Jesus. When, when men want to lift up themselves, when denominations want to lift up themselves, when church organizations want to promote themselves, that's not God. And so Paul refuses to do that. He is not a self-promoter. He's a humble, a humble guy. And he says, you know what, I, if I can brag, it's bragging on God, it's bragging about what he's doing in the kingdom, but I'm not bragging about myself. Servant leadership is how we serve in the body of Christ. Amen. Servant leadership. If, you, if you're taking notes, write that down. There, there are no, you know, generals and chiefs and big shots and people on pedestals in the kingdom. We are all servants. And the higher you go up the proverbial food chain, the more you got to be willing to serve. So if you don't like serving where you're at, don't expect a promotion. And, and I've seen people in the kingdom, well, I'm, I don't do that anymore. I, you know, I don't worry about that. I'm, I'm no. We always have to be willing to serve. Um, servant leadership is what it's all about. He says, which the Lord gave for building you up. So Paul realized his gifts weren't for him. They weren't to magnify him or to bring glory to him. They were to build up the saints, amen? And that's why you and I have gifts too. Do you have gifts? Do you have anointings? Do you have talents? Do you have abilities? Nobody? It's time for a drink. 
Those things are not for you. Oh, look at my gift. Everybody come watch my gift. No, those gifts are not for us to build ourselves up. They're to build up the body. That's why God gave them to us. That's why it's so ridiculous to be proud about our, our own spiritual capacities or our spiritual gifts. There's no room for pride in that. It's not the purpose. The purpose is to build up the body. For it's, he says, it's for building you up and not for destroying you. And verse 9 and 10 show the apostle's intent in his dealings. Listen, he continues here. He says, for I do not want to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Uh, some interesting uh, facts revealed about the stature of the Apostle Paul here. Some people say he was kind of a short, fat, bald guy, and he didn't speak very well. But boy, when the Holy Spirit flowed through that pen of his, the theology that poured out through him, come on, anybody? Amazing. But none of us are the complete package. Saul was the complete package, and he was an abject failure. God doesn't pick the cream of the crop in the world's eyes. Paul had some interesting, you know, liabilities about his you know, his appearance and his stature. Now, verse 9 and 10 that I just read to you shows his intent with his dealings with those in the early church. He was, you know, well aware of his own weakness and his own limitations. So none of the New Testament epistles were written here to incite fear in us. Did you ever read something out of the Bible and the fear of the Lord just hits you? Amen, that's a good thing, amen. But the purpose was not to terrify us. The enemy terrifies. The enemy is a terrorist, amen? The Holy Spirit gently convicts us, amen? If anything that you're involved in spiritually terrifies you, you need to take a couple steps back because that's not the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, I'm not writing these letters to terrify you. I'm not writing these letters to put the, you know, fear in you, but if the fear of God is the byproduct of it, then so be it, but... That's not the purpose of the epistle. That's not the purpose of my letters. The purpose of my letters is to provoke spiritual growth and godliness and holy living in the body of Christ. That's why we study the scripture. Why? Because they provoke us to spiritual growth, to godliness, to holy living. Amen? That's why we cover the entire scriptures, not just the parts we like. Amen? That's why we're full gospel center, not partial gospel center. Some churches don't talk about certain topics. I remember someone came up to me. I had preached through the entire book of Revelation uh, on Sunday for a couple, a couple times I've done that. And he said, well, you're the only pastor I ever met who had the guts to preach through Revelation. And then I never saw him again. But anyway, it was a nice thought. But, you know, we've got to cover the whole gospel, amen, the whole scripture, all of it, New Testament, Old Testament, it's all the word of God, it's all important. And none of, you know, while it might bring us to the fear of the Lord, it's not there to terrorize us. Some people won't study eschatology. Oh, Revelation, that's scary. No, it's not. It's a love letter from God showing us how he's gonna keep us and perfect us and he's gonna judge the wicked and bless the righteous all at the same time. It's not scary at all. So... You know, it's not to promote fear, but it's to make us grow spiritually, provoke us to godliness and holy living. You know, fear, using fear is a horrible way to lead. 
If you ever work for someone that they rule through fear, they intimidate, they bully, come on, you know, shout a little bit. Maybe God will deliver you from that boss. Amen. (laughs) All right, there there we go. But if you've ever worked with them, you know what I'm talking about. And and leadership in the church should not should not be that. That's a horrible way to lead. You know, I've heard, I've read books about military leaders that said I would rather be feared than respected. It's not the way to lead. Now, maybe in the Marine Corps, that works a little bit, but in the body of Christ, that doesn't work at all. You know, sheep need to be able to trust their shepherd. The shepherd's always using the stick to whack them and kick them and starve them. That, that's not a shepherd that's going to attract sheep. Okay, well, I'm going to start doing that then. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, fear is not the way to lead. Paul didn't lead through fear. His, he, he, he wasn't just this weak guy who was a keyboard warrior who wrote these really nasty letters so that he could, you know, put the fear. No, th- that wasn't what he was doing. He was writing what the Holy Spirit was pouring through him. He's just a conduit, just like any of us who speak the word of God. You know, so that wasn't his motivation. Now, in situations where there's brazen rebellion, say rebellion, or stubborn disobedience to the word of God, to the gospel. God can, you know, use those who speak and those who are in leadership in the body of Christ to strike fear into the hearts of the wicked. Sometime in the Old Testament, the ground swallowed people up. You know, you ever yearn for those days to come back? Seems like under this grace covenant, everybody gets away with everything forever. I see what's going on in our own nation, just the wickedness and the tyranny and the lying and the cheating. I mean, it's just, God, when are you going to intervene? When are you going to step in? Well, long after we're exhausted by it, because it's designed to drive us to our knees and into the secret place to cry out to God, to appeal to heaven, amen, when we have no other recourse. Amen. And you guys, you have a rough night last night, a long day? So fear's not the way to lead, but sometimes God uses leaders. He's used them in scripture. He used them in the, in the contemporary church to just wake people up when there's brazen rebellion or stubborn disobedience or, or just sin or, or, or the gospel's being polluted. Uh, sometimes God will strike fear in the people. So Paul spoke God's truth under the impartation of the Holy Spirit, and he... If when he delivered the word, when he delivered the letter, if that terrorized sinners, so be it. But it wasn't designed to terrorize the saints. Amen. So verse 10 shows some humility and transparency. We're coming to the end here. We got two more verses. Uh, Humility and transparency is a good thing. Here's what it says. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let's, Let's unpack that a little bit. You know, realize Paul is writing this. Think for a second. If you were writing about yourself, would you write about being contemptible and your speech not being good? No, you'd write like, he's an excellent speaker and he looks like Charlton Heston. And <laughs> People don't usually say, you know, self-deprecating things about themselves. If you notice, people in the world always spin their best qualities and elevate them and all their, all their bad qualities they hide. Come on, it's like your Facebook profile picture. It's got a filter on. It's the best picture you ever took. It's your good side. I'm working hard up here tonight, people. (laughs) So Paul's really humble here to write this about himself because, you know, 
most of us would ignore. Well, we're not going to bring up, we're going we're to bring up some of the good things people say about me. No, he's saying, you know, I got some issues and, you know, I, I'm not all that in a bag of potato chips, but I'm humble and I want to be transparent here. He admits that his physical stature is unimpressive. Crickets again. <laughs> and he also admits that his oratory skills are not that good. Paul, maybe he had a lisp. Maybe he talked funny. Maybe he had a high, squeaky voice. I don't know. I wish we had some videotape, but we don't. But he admits that. Hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not, my physical stature is not impressive. My oratory skills are not that impressive. You know, uh, understand when God picks us and gifts us and puts us in our place in the body of Christ, God doesn't look like the world does for the best and the brightest. God's not looking for the cream of the crop. Sometimes God takes the dregs. Sometimes God takes the worst of the worst. Sometimes God takes someone who's persecuting the church and murdering Christians and turns them into the greatest apostle that ever lived. Come on. You know, the world says we want the best and the brightest. And I get that and I understand it. But you know what? God uses people with limitations. Do you have limitations tonight? Is anybody perfect out there? How, anybody messed up? Anybody a hot mess? Amen. You're a candidate to be used by God. Amen. And that's good news tonight. So here's, you know, God, he, he picks people with limitations. Why? So he can get the glory for what he does with them. People who think, you know, they're the total package, they, they want all the glory for themselves. God picked Moses and he had a stutter and he sends a guy with a stutter to go speak to the most powerful man on the face of the earth, Pharaoh. You know, Moses also had anger issues. He killed an Egyptian in a rage. He was impulsive. He was reckless. Eventually, he struck the rock and he never went into the promised land. He had limitations and issues that never got dealt with. Yet God picked him. It said, he, he knows me face to face and there'll never be another one like my servant Moses. Wow. Are you messed up? Are you broken? Do you, do you have defects? God can use you. Stop pointing at your wife, Tim. Stop it. Diana hit him. So this is good news for us. Now, we all have limitations and weaknesses, and that's good for three reasons, and here they are. Number one, it forces us to rely more on God than on ourselves. And that's why, why did God give Paul a thorn in the flesh? So he could see that his grace was sufficient for him, amen? So when we have limitations, it forces us to rely on God. Number two, it keeps our pride in check, amen? If people keep pointing out your flaws, it's hard to feel too good about yourself. And Paul even admits it here. I, I don't have impressive physical stature. I don't have impressive speech. My oratory skills are not that great. And so what does that do? That keeps us humble. He also had a thorn in the flesh, and that kept him humble. And that was a good thing. Because you know what? The one thing that will stop the move of God in our lives and make us useless in the kingdom of God is pride. Pride will short-circuit our anointing and put us on the bench take us right out of the game. God can deal with a whole lot of stuff, but not pride. Pride's a deal breaker. So these limitations and weaknesses we have makes us rely on God, keeps our pride in check. And number three, it makes it necessary for us to work with others. Now, judging by the roaring response, 
everybody doesn't like to work with other people. But the truth is, <laughs> the truth is this, we need each other. Look, if I could do it all myself, I might. And that would be bad. Because the, the kingdom of God is not about performers and spectators. It's about everybody doing their parts. So for me to do the will of God for my life, I need other people to come around me. So our limitations and our weaknesses and our flaws and our quirks keep us humble and they keep us dependent on God and they force us to work with others and all of that's a good thing. Now, the wisest thing we could do with our limitations is this. First, we should acknowledge them and stop pretending they're not there. Did you hear me? What does the flesh want to do? Cover it up, hide it, deny it, don't ever admit it. Paul comes right out and says, I'm not that good looking and I don't speak too well. That's humility. That's transparency. That's a man that God could use. Uh, understand something. If we hide our limitations or if we make excuses for them or we pretend that we don't have them, we're going to hurt ourselves and we're going to hurt the body of Christ. So if you have a limitation, be honest about it and admit it. Secondly, commit to growing in those areas. Just because you have a limitation, that's not the final curtain. You can grow. You can get better at certain things. I know preachers that didn't like to speak in public. I know, you know, musicians that were horrified of standing in front of people. And what happens? You push and you grow and you strain and you struggle and you make yourself uncomfortable and you face your anxiety and you face your demons and you grow. Limitations are not permanent unless we refuse to grow. There's things in all of our lives that we used to struggle with that we've overcome and they're not an issue anymore. There's things in ministry for me that used to stress me out, that used to make me anxious, that don't bother me at all anymore. So I have new things to bother me now. So acknowledge the weakness or the limitation Commit to growing in that area. And lastly, do what successful people do. Staff your weakness. You guys getting this? You awake? Half of you ain't even looking at me. What's this, something good on the phones I'm missing? Staff your weakness. If you're not good at it, get, get around somebody who is good at it. If you don't know how to organize things, get around somebody who's organized. If you, don't, if you don't know how to discipline your physical body, get around someone who, get, staff your weakness, amen? This is what successful people learn to do. They don't just cover it up, pretend it's not there. They get around people who are good at it, and they learn from them, and then they glean from them, and they use them to, to, to do what they're doing, and all of a sudden, there's a synergy that takes place, and teamwork happens, and people begin to accomplish things in a unit as a team that they could never do themselves. Amen. Staff your weakness. Well, you know, a lot of people do, they cover up their weakness. So if you got an issue, you got a problem, it's, it's just amazing. I know people struggling with stuff and they know that I have a strength in that area, but they won't come to me. Young people, young men, I see it all the time. Why? Pride. I could help some people, that, but I won't force myself on them. Quiet now. But pride keeps people away. Most everything I've learned in life, I've learned from people who did it better than me first. 
staff your weakness. Commit to growing in the areas where you have limitations and acknowledge that you're not the total package. That transparency will allow God to use you and it will allow others to aspire to admit their weaknesses as well and it will keep the body of Christ real instead of fake. Verse 11, and I close with this verse. Have such a person consider this. There it is, another call to introspection. See, Paul's not telling him what to think. He's saying, take a look inside. Have him consider this again within himself. Have such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent, such persons we are also indeed when we are present. What is Paul saying here? He asks him to look inside again, to consider their grievances, to take an honest look at themselves, and to understand exactly what the apostle is doing here. You got to look at the way this is worded. Um, he says, have such a person consider this. Who's he talking to? Not to the person who needs to consider, not to the person who needs to be introspective. He says, have such a person. So he's talking to other people to get these people to do something productive on Paul's behalf. Are you with me? So here's the principle there. He's prompting those who have influence in the Corinthian church to appeal to those who have the grievances within the Corinthian church. He says, you have those people take a look inside themselves. You see this? Yes. This is an important principle here. Why? Because Paul is using wisdom, and, and, and we need this type of wisdom to get anything done in our personal lives or in the body of Christ. He is prompting those with influence to be influential on those who have the grievances. Now, it is wise for leaders to use those who have more influence in an area than they do to effectuate the changes that they need to see in the body of Christ rather than trying to do everything themselves. Some of us just default to doing, trying to do everything ourselves and we have limited success. You know what? It is wise to use those who have the influence. The wise missionary will always use the native speakers, the workers, the new converts to preach the gospel in that area. Do you know when a Western missionary goes maybe on a foreign field to Africa, you know who's gonna do the bulk of the evangelism and the soul winning? The Africans that get saved. Anybody ever been on the mission field? One person, praise God. All right, it's time for a mission trip. Raise your hands. No, I'm just kidding. But that's what they do. They don't go over there, people from all different countries and cultures and ethnicities, and they look different. No, they get those first converts, and God saves them strategically, and the next thing you know, they're saved, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they teach them that they're called to ministry. They fill them with the word. They teach them how to preach, and they do the work, and they save the souls, and they plant the churches, and they bring in the harvest. The wise missionary will do that. A wise pastor will always appeal first to parents, to husbands, to elders, uh, to correct those who are in error. Anybody use wisdom? You know, when a leader has to correct everything that people do in their congregation, that, that's, a, that, that, that's an unproductive way to lead. As a pastor, if, if there's a problem in your house first, I'll go to the man. If your kids are out of order, your wife's out of order, I'm not going to her first. I'm going to you first. 
and I'm going to ask you to correct it. Why? Because you have spiritual authority. If, if there's a problem with the kids, uh, maybe I'll talk to the mother. And the, you understand there's a chain of command and there's wisdom that if you try and do everything yourself, no, we need to use the influence that other people have. Why? Because they'll effectuate the changes without us getting in there and making a mess and breaking up relationships. So this is what Paul is teaching here. Have those consider. He's talking to people with influence. He's telling them, influence the people who have the wrong attitudes, the wrong theology, and who are making the trouble. Do this as part of, you know, being leadership in the body of Christ, and these things will fix themselves much neater than if one person had to come in and terrify and yell and scream and point fingers and ostracize. Do you understand? Paul refused to do that. He used wisdom. We should learn from these principles. Uh, next week, we're going to cover this verse. Listen to it. It's powerful. There's a lot in here. I didn't want to unpack this now, but I want you to listen to it. Verse 12, for we do not presume to rank or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they have no understanding. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you tonight for the word. I thank you tonight for the Holy Spirit moving in here. I pray that the word has gotten into our hearts as we've worshiped you and brought ourselves before you. Every principle in here that we need uh, to glean, Lord God, teach us to be humble and transparent and honest. Teach us to be influencers and, and work with those who have influence to use wisdom in bringing the gospel. Father, help us in every way, Lord, just to not get too big for our own britches. Whatever our giftings are, they are for the body of Christ. They are not to elevate ourselves or make us feel good about ourselves or bring glory to ourselves. Bring humility to the body of Christ. Help us to be team players and help us to get the work done by each of us taking our place in the body. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give him praise tonight.